The text this afternoon is taken from Matthew 18, the verses 1 through 9. Let us read that again. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of the thing, things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. So far. In response to the sermon, let us sing from Psalm 10, verses 6 and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when something bad happens, we try to take away the cause of the bad thing so that it will not happen again. For example, if you drive over something on the road that gives you a flat tire, then after you have changed your tire, you should pick up whatever it was that was lying on the road so that someone else doesn't get a flat tire. Or if a wild animal attacks a human being and wounds or kills that person, the animal is killed or removed so that it will cause no further harm. This, brothers and sisters, should be the approach that we also take towards sin. Sin, you know, is not just something that happens to us. Sin is much more than that. It is a force that actively attacks us, seeking to undermine our relationship with God so that we experience his wrath and are destroyed. Therefore, we must always be on watch to prevent sin from taking hold in our lives. When sin does come into our lives, we must immediately confront it, confess it, and rid ourselves of it. And we must take steps to prevent it from happening again. If you find there is something in your life that has caused you to sin, such as television perhaps, your temper, some other temptation, then you must rid yourself of that temptation. Ridding ourselves of sin or of the things that cause sin is what the Bible and our confessions speak of as discipline. Discipline is called by the Belgic Confession as one of the three marks of the true church. Without discipline, 
a church cannot survive very long. Since discipline is the way that the Holy Spirit equips the church to fight against the sin that is constantly attacking it. Scripture teaches that the Father disciplines us in our lives in various ways. But we must also discipline ourselves. The elders have been given the task to exercise official church discipline. And the believers have been charged with the task of watching out for each other and of disciplining themselves. This afternoon, we pay attention to Matthew 18, verses 1 through 9, the first part of the chapter that speaks a great deal about discipline. This whole chapter focuses on discipline. God does not want his little ones, that is the believers, to be lost to or to be overcome by sin. Therefore, he instructs us to discipline ourselves. We must learn what is right, follow what is right, and strictly fight against what is wrong. As a gardener would prune a tree, so we must cut away what is evil. And if something causes you to sin, get rid of it, just as you would get rid of that nail lying on the road, which might cause someone else's tire to go flat. This afternoon, I may proclaim the gospel of salvation under this theme. The Lord charges his little ones to rid themselves of things that cause us to sin. First, we will see God's judgment on the things that cause us to sin, and second, what our approach should be to the things which cause us to sin. God's judgment on th- of things which cause us to sin. The focus of Matthew 18 is dealing with things that cause us to sin. The teaching of the Lord Jesus on this subject came in response on this occasion to the question asked by the disciples, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples had their eyes opened to the great the disciples had had their eyes opened to the great reality of Christ's work that through him as savior the kingdom of heaven was coming into the world. As through Christ all things are brought into submission to the Father. In earthly kingdoms it is important to sort out matters of authority. Who is in charge of what? What is the order of rank? If things are not properly arranged or, and carefully, the kingdom will not function properly, but will be crippled by a certain amount of disorder and anarchy. The question that the disciples ask shows, about this kingdom shows that they do not fully understand what the kingdom of heaven is. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They continue to think of the kingdom in earthly terms, perhaps with the earthly city of Jerusalem as its capital and center. They do not think of it in spiritual terms as a kingdom where everyone submits to the Father in heaven. So they apply earthly categories to this kingdom, thinking it must be arranged like the earthly kingdoms. In addition, the disciples' question shows that they are not free from the sin of pride. In the parallel passages in Mark and in Luke, we are told that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves as to who of them would be the greatest, and when the Lord questioned them about what they were debating, they were silent. They were embarrassed because they knew they were acting pridefully. On another occasion, the wife of Zebedee spoke up on behalf of her two sons, James and John, to try and obtain for them the highest seats next to Jesus in the kingdom of heaven.
It was it is this misunderstanding of the spiritual nature of the kingdom of heaven, as well as the matter of the disciples' pride, that leads the Lord Jesus to begin speaking about things that lead us into sin. He called a little child to himself and said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. With this teaching, the Lord Jesus addresses both of the errors that the disciples had shown. First, with the child standing in their midst to emphasize the point, the Lord Jesus showed his disciples that the greatness in the kingdom is not determined by who has the most authority or power. Insignificant is the word that all historians and commentators use when describing the place of children in ancient Jewish society. No one noticed children or gave any thought to the children. The thoughts of the great and the powerful were not busy with children. But like today, when every level of government is concerned at some point with the education, it was not like today when every level of the government is concerned at some point with the education and well-being of children. But in the kingdom of heaven, those who are insignificant are the greatest because it is not human earthly values that count, but spiritual values. The little child has a trusting faith, and that makes him great in the kingdom, since by his faith he is tightly bound to the Lord Jesus. And the same can be said for the infirm, the feeble, the weak, the sick, the elderly, and all others who can be and are sometimes marginalized by others. Their earthly weakness makes them insignificant, but their faith makes them captains and heroes in God's spiritual kingdom. At the same time, the Lord addressed with this teaching the pride of the disciples. The Lord says to his disciples, and to us as well, that we must change and become like little children. We must humble ourselves like children. In what sense does he mean that we ought to be like children? He does not mean childlike in the sense of immaturity and in lacking of knowledge. No, he means rather that we ought to be trusting in our faith and humble in our position. The Lord himself has given us his example. The word humble, which we find in our text, is the same word that we find in Philippians 2 where the Apostle Paul commands us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The Lord Jesus was willing to accept a humble position for the benefit and salvation of those whom he loves. And by this, he showed his greatness in the kingdom. He, the king, took the form of a servant, that, is the example that we must follow. Humility determines greatness, as also the Lord showed his disciples in John 13 when he knelt to wash their feet. The Father tre- treasures those who are small, little, weak, and trembling, because they are the ones who will turn to him for help instead of relying on their own greatness to see themselves through. The value that the Lord places upon these little ones who are humble is indicated in the next verses of our text, verses 5 and 6. 
There the Lord says, whoever, whoever humbles a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. When the Lord Jesus speaks of little ones, then our first thought is that he means the child that he had called to stand before the disciples. And certainly, the Lord Jesus was thinking of children when he spoke of little ones. But if we pay attention to the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, we find that little ones is not limited to children. In Matthew 10, verse 42, the Lord Jesus says that if anyone gives a cup of water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, he will certainly not lose his reward. In that context, little one includes disciples. And it is the same in Matthew 11, verse 25, when the Lord Jesus thanks his Father in heaven because he has revealed the gospel to little children, meaning, once again, the disciples. All the believers in the church can be spoken of as little ones because they are little in the eyes of the world and called to be little in their own eyes. But our text also emphasizes that though believers are little in the eyes of the world, they are treasured and valued in the eyes of God and of Christ. Christ even identifies himself with these little ones, his humble followers, so that if anyone welcomes one of the believers, he welcomes Christ himself. They are valued so much by God that terrible judgment will come upon anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin. The Lord uses a vivid picture a person tied to a large millstone, the kind of millstone turned by, a, by donkey power because it is so large, a picture of a person with this millstone tied to his neck being thrown into the sea. That person would drown quickly, will drown quickly and surely. There is no chance he will be able to keep his head above water. That would be better than facing the anger of God. This is how strongly God loves his little ones, how precious they are in his sight. Anyone who causes one of them to sin, and therefore to stumble and be in danger, perhaps, of falling away, had better drown himself rather than face the anger of God. And so in this way, we are introduced to the topic of discipline. The church, filled with the little, humble, insignificant citizens of the kingdom, is under God's special care. He does not want sin to creep into the ranks of the believers to make them stumble, and he will be violently protective of his children. Therefore, the church herself must be vigilant against sin, for sin does not only come from without, but it comes from within our own selves. Sin is not only a force that attacks through the outside forces, like the world or the devil, but it is a force within our own minds and bodies. Whatever the case may be, all things that cause sin are under the terrible judgment of God. Therefore, we must make every attempt to root out these causes. The kingdoms of this world, in the kingdoms of this world, it is not sin that people consider to be the most dangerous threat, but it is weakness. But the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. Weakness of the body is not to be feared. But sin is our greatest enemy. And as in the world, so in the kingdom of heaven, 
our lack our own lack of watchfulness can lead to our defeat. Therefore, we must be vigilant and we must be disciplined. This brings us to our second point. We must heed the warning of God and listen to what he tells us about what our approach should be to the things that cause us to sin. The Lord, the Lord Jesus explained to his disciples what kind of of kingdom the kingdom of heaven is, and what kind of citizens can be part of this kingdom. We have to be little ones, without pride or without an exalted sense of our own worth, and we must be vigilant against sin. This means that we must, in the first place, take a very good look at ourselves. Our tendency is always to look at others and say, they have to change, or tisk tisk, look at what they're doing. But the Lord Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. When it comes to the matter of things that cause these little ones, that is, the believers, to sin, each believer must first of all look at himself. Further on in Matthew 18, the Lord dwells on the whole topic of discipline, including mutual discipline where we watch out over each other. But in verses 7 to 9, we are reminded that all church discipline starts with self-discipline. You are not well equipped to speak to someone else about the things that cause them to sin unless you first address the things in your own life that cause you to sin. The Lord Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew 7, verse 3, Why do you look for the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Since the Lord Jesus is talking about discipline, that is about dealing with things that cause us to sin, it is fitting that before he speaks about church discipline, about believers disciplining each other, he should first talk about self-discipline. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no place for those who continue continue happily in a life of sin. The acts of sin, says Paul in Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hate, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live thus I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Lord God will judge all who continue in sin and who cause themselves or others to sin. Woe to the world, says the Lord in our text, because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Sin will will attack the little ones, the believers, since this is a broken and sin-stained world. But the judgment of God is upon everyone who causes this sin to come. If you, by your own lack of vigilance, judgment, and self-discipline, become the cause of your sin, then God will hold you responsible, and the curse of woe that is spoken in our text will be upon your own head. In order to prevent that we may become the causes of our own sin and the reason of our own downfall, 
The Lord Jesus commands us in our text to cut out of our lives whatever might cause us to sin. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, he says in verse 8, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. The measures that the Lord Jesus described here seem rather drastic, and if we were to take them literally, we would have a congregation full of people with no hands, feet, or eyes. But the Lord does not, of course, mean that we should perform self-mutilation in order to prevent ourselves from sinning. He does, however, make the point that ultimately our greatest concern should be our spiritual well-being. You don't need a whole body to enter the kingdom of heaven. You need rather to be one of the little ones. You need to humble yourself before God, trusting in his grace and mercy so that he might remove your sins. You need to follow the Lord Jesus like a little child, obeying him in the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. And if there is anything that hinders you from entering the kingdom, you need to cut it out of your life or to throw it overboard. The thing, that thing, whatever it is, is not more important than your salvation. Thus, the point of the Lord's example is to remind us that we must cut out of our lives whatever it is that might cause us to sin and to fall under the terrible wrath of God. There are several things for us to think about in this regard. What about the television, for instance? The television is filled with images and languages and language that cause us to sin. And yet, many of us keep it on in our homes. That is fine if we're able to control it. But if we're not able to control it and it causes us to sin, then we must cut it out of our lives. Or what about alcohol? Too much alcohol leads to a lack of self-control. Lack of self-control leads to sin. If alcohol is something that you are not able to control, then you need to cut it off out of your life completely. This is not an easy thing to do. But then, it is not just anyone who is telling you to do this either. It is your Lord Jesus Christ who tells you to do this, so that you may not fall into sin. As we take stock of our lives and of the things that need to be cut out because they cause us to sin, our biggest enemy is the enemy that led the Lord Jesus to talk about discipline on this occasion. That enemy is pride. There's a very good reason why it is the humble who are able to enter the kingdom of God and are honored there. The humble are able to recognize their own weakness and shortcomings. Only after you have recognized those weaknesses and shortcomings can you seek forgiveness for them and deal with them through the power of the Holy Spirit by cutting them out of your life. Pride, on the other hand, prevents a person from being able to take an honest, self-critical look at himself. Again, we are reminded of the parable of the speck and the plank. We can so easily see the things that are wrong with others, but we are all so blind to our own faults. That is because of pride. We need to be self-critical with ourselves, or we will not see those things that cause us to sin and to come under the judgment of God. If we do not do this, then we are like a person who drives over something 
on the road, gets a flat, and yet leaves that thing on the road to be driven over again and again. When we make profession of faith, brothers and sisters, we promise that we will make discipline a part of our lives. The form for a profession of faith mentions church discipline, as is done by the elders and by one's fellow believers. But church discipline starts with self-discipline. If you are too proud, too sure of yourself, to be able to see your own faults, or to even consider that you have faults which you struggle with, then you are definitely too proud to acknowledge the the criticisms of others who wish to help you with the things that cause you to sin. When the elders of the church are confronted with a case where believers do not want to listen to their instruction, it is often a matter of pride. The person does not want to cut out those things which cause him to sin. This is what we must avoid. It is the child, the humble person, the person who acknowledges his own weaknesses, who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Such a person is able to receive instruction and seeks to follow the Lord Jesus and not his own rules with what is right and wrong. It is common sense, brothers and sisters, that if you encounter something dangerous in your path, you remove it so that it, did not, so that it does not cause you or others further harm. Sin is a danger in our path. Every sin carries the seeds of our own destruction in it. Therefore, we must fight against it. By being humble and knowing that we are weak, we can turn to the Lord for help. He will give us his Holy Spirit to make us strong against sin. He will help us to be honest with ourselves so that we can see those things in our lives which are not right and which would cause God to be angry with us. Since the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are able to cut out those things which lead us to sin. Let us make that our goal as we consider the topic of discipline. Starting with ourselves, our goal is to be holy and to fight against sin always. The believers who have this as their goal will enjoy as their reward the life of eternal perfection in the presence of their Savior. Amen.